Loving Father in heaven, thank you for giving us the privilege of life once again. We are very grateful. We are always grateful for it. We understand that it is not our holiness or righteousness that has given us this privilege, but it is your mercy and your great love towards us. Lord in heaven, in the spirit of reciprocity, we know that you who have given us life, we ought to give you back faithfulness and fidelity and love and bring joy to you. Many times we fail to do this when we sin against you. So dear Lord, we come to you for the purpose that you will give us strength and grace to meet the temptations that come to us and to help us to become better representatives of you on this earth. So dear Lord, as we fellowship with you now, please fulfill this promise that you have made that as many as come to you, and as many as receive Christ, you will make us sons and daughters of God. Please, Lord, do that for us even now as we dwell and fellowship with you. Grant us of your spirit. Put your words in my mouth, dear Lord, that your children who are listening will all be blessed and will have a greater nearness to you that will be strengthened and edified in the Lord. Do this, dear Lord, and take the glory. In Jesus' name I have prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, August 6. Pollution and Purification And he went forth unto the spring of the waters, and cast the salt in there, and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 21 in casting salt into the bitter spring, Elisha taught the same spiritual lesson imparted centuries later by the Savior to his disciples when he declared, Ye are the salt of the earth. The salt mingling with the polluted spring purified its waters and brought life and blessing, where before had been blighting and death. When God compares his children to salt, he would teach them that his purpose in making them the subjects of his grace is that they may become agents in saving others. Salt must be mingled with the substance to which it is added. It must penetrate, infuse it, that it may be preserved. So it is through personal contact and association that men are reached by the saving power of the gospel. They are not saved as masses but as individuals. Personal experience is a power. It is to work with the influence of Christ and to stay the progress of the world's corruption. It is to uplift, to sweeten the lives and characters of others by the power of a pure example united with earnest faith and love. The polluted stream represents the soul that is separate from God. Through sin, the whole human organism is deranged, the mind is perverted, the imagination corrupted, the faculties of the soul are degraded. There is an absence of pure religion, of heart holiness. The converting power of God has not wrought in transforming the character. The heart that receives the word of God is not as a pool that evaporates. It is like a river constantly flowing, 
and as it advances, becoming deeper and wider, until its life-giving waters are spread over all the earth. So it is with the true child of God. The religion of Christ reveals itself as a vitalizing, pervading principle, a living, working, spiritual energy. When the heart is opened to the heavenly influence of truth and love, these principles will flow forth again like streams in the desert, causing fruitfulness to appear where now are barrenness and dearth. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Pollution and Purification. After Elijah was taken up from the earth and translated to heaven, Elisha received the blessing that he requested for, the double portion of the spirit of Elijah. This double portion of the spirit upon him gave him power for great ministry on the earth and he is known as that prophet of peace. Reading from 2 Kings chapter 2, from verse 15, it says, And when the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And they said unto him, Behold now, there be with thy servants fifty strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master. Lest peradventure the spirit of the Lord had taken him up, and cast him upon some mountain, or into some valley. And he said, ye shall not send. And when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore fifty men, and they saw three days, but found him not. And when they came again to him, for he tarried at Jericho, remember, there's a school of the prophet at Jericho, so that's where he was, he said unto them, Did I not say unto you, Go not? And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, but the water is not and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new cruise, and put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of the waters, and cast the salt in there, and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he speak. Amen. So, when Elisha tarried at Jericho, that's in the schools of the prophet at Jericho, that's where he stayed, and he stayed there for quite some time. This incident did not happen on that same day. He just came down from seeing Elijah off. He came back, and three days later, they searched for Elijah. They came back, and days had passed, and they had lived with Elisha in the schools of the prophet at Jericho. While he was there at Jericho, they met him and told him about the waters there which were polluted in the sense of it not being good enough for drinking and if you take it, it can cause people to die. And that's why Elisha said that from this water, uh, thence there shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. Not just that the water had the, the, the ability to um, cause diseases in those who drank it, but even for the soil. The water was not good for the soil. It didn't help for the plants to grow. 
And it was this water that Elisha took salt and put it into that water and that water was purified from its pollution and it says it was healed unto this day. What lesson can be learned from here like we read? It is the same lesson that Jesus taught on that day when he gave the Sermon on the Mount where he told his disciples, ye are the salt of the earth. So let us understand the lesson that the Lord would have us learn when he says we are the salt of the earth. Reading from Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 35, paragraph 2, it says, Salt is valued for its preservative properties, and when God calls his children salt, he would teach them that his purpose in making them the subjects of his grace is that they may become agents in saving others. The object of God in choosing a people before all the world was not only that he might adopt them as his sons and daughters, but that through them the world might receive the grace that bringeth salvation. Titus 2 verse 11. When the Lord chose Abraham, it was not simply to be the special friend of God, but to be a medium of the peculiar privileges the Lord desired to bestow upon the nations. Jesus in that last prayer with his disciples before his crucifixion said, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. John 17 verse 19 In like manner, Christians who are purified through the truth will possess saving qualities that preserve the world from utter moral corruption. Salt must be mingled with the substance to which it is added. It must penetrate and infuse in order to preserve. So it is through personal contact and association that men are reached by the saving power of the gospel. They are not saved in masses but as individuals. Personal influence is a power. We must come close to those whom we desire to benefit. The server of salt represents the vital power of the Christian, the love of Jesus in the heart, the righteousness of Christ pervading the life. The love of Christ is diffusive and aggressive. If it is, if it is dwelling in us, it will flow out to others. We shall come close to them till their hearts are warmed by our unselfish interest and love. The sincere believers diffuse vital energy, which is penetrating and imparts new moral power to the souls for whom they labor. It is not the power of the man himself, but the power of the Holy Spirit that does the transforming work. End of quote. The Lord wants us to understand this lesson. You who are a partaker of the grace of the Lord, and I, we are to be the salt of the earth. Doing what? preserving the earth from moral corruption, not being partakers of the moral corruption in the earth. How can one be a salt of the earth is the question then. But first of all, let us understand the principle. The salt of the earth means personal contact and personal influence. When we look at the lives of the kings, Jehoshaphat, Ahab, Solomon, David, we see the power of not personal influence but the influence of position and the influence of those in power and we have seen how such an influence can be used for good or for evil now in this lesson of pollution and purification we are seeing the lesson of personal influence it is not just those who are presidents and kings and ceos and influential so-called influencers in the world that have influence but every human being has an influence. 
we come in contact with people on a daily basis. And if you are a salt of this earth, people you come in contact with will be having an influence exuding from yourself to themselves that will preserve them from moral corruption, that will help them to do the will of the Lord, that will make us a blessing to the world. But now, how do we go through this process of becoming salt? We are, first of all, that polluted water. That is what we are. And it is only as we become salt to this earth that we can become a blessing to the world. Reading from Prophets and Kings, page 232, paragraph 1, it says, The world needs evidences of sincere Christianity. The poison of sin is at work at the heart of society. Cities and towns are steeped in sin and moral corruption. The world is full of sickness, suffering, and iniquity. Nigh and afar off are souls in poverty and distress, weighed down in a sense of guilt and perishing for want of a saving influence. The gospel of truth is kept ever before them, yet they perish because the example of those who should be a server of life to them is a server of death. Their souls drink in bitterness because the springs are poisoned, when they should be like a well of water springing up unto everlasting life." End of quote. And this may be the case of so many so-called Christians. People are perishing because the example of those who should be Christians and those who should be a server of life to them is not a server of life but unto death. Some Christians are deep into worldliness more than the world itself. But we ought to be salts. Before we can be salt to the world, we need the word of God to bring about a transformation in our own lives and make us to become that salt that has savour of life. Prophets and Kings, page 233, paragraph 2 says, To the heart that has become purified, all is changed. Transformation of character is the testimony to the world of an indwelling Christ. The Spirit of God produces a new life in the soul, bringing the thoughts and desires into obedience to the will of Christ, and the inward man is renewed in the image of God. Weak and erring men and women show to the world that the redeeming power of grace can cause the faulty character to develop into symmetry and abundant fruitfulness. The heart that receives what? The heart that receives the word of God is not as a pool that evaporates, not like a broken cistern that loses its treasure. It is like the mountain stream fed by unfailing springs whose cool, sparkling waters leap from rock to rock, refreshing the weary, the thirsty, the heavy laden. It is like a river constantly flowing, and as it advances, becoming deeper and wider, until its life-giving waters are spread over all the earth. So it is with the true child of God. The religion of Christ reveals itself as a vitalizing, pervading principle, a living, working, spiritual energy. When the heart is opened to the heavenly influence of truth and love, these principles will flow forth again like streams in the desert, causing fruitfulness to appear where now are barrenness and dearth. End of quote. So, this last part I just read talks about principles. 
principles that will flow forth again like streams. What are these principles and what will it cause in the life of the one who has received the word of God into their life, which is becoming the salt of the earth? The book of 1 Peter 4 verse 3 and 4 tells us what our life will be like, it says, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they, who is this day now, they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Amen. This is what happens when that polluted stream is purified. We will have a transformation of character and the Bible is very clear on what we will not do. That the time past of our lives, we would have been involved walking in what is called lasciviousness, which is all kinds of sexual desires, including things like pornography, masturbation, wild sexual, unsafe practices even in your own marriage bed and outside it, lusts, again, excess of wine, revelings, that is going to parties, banquetings, or deeper ones, clubbing now, and abominable idolatries. He who was once polluted, this is what the life was like, but when the word of God is brought into the life, and when these principles like we just read now, the principles of heaven that flow forth like the streams of the desert comes, it will cause fruitfulness to appear. And what will be the result? Verse 4 of First Peter 4 says, they, who are these they? That is the people who used to join you or who you used to go with to do all these things. They think it's strange that you are not joining them anymore in doing these things. It may be your wife thinking it's strange. This is my husband. It's not two of us that used to do this before, but no, he has become a salt of the earth and he is not joining you anymore. Oh, this is my wife. What's wrong with her? She's no longer doing the things she used to do. Oh yes, the Bible said so, that when we become purified, that the world will look at us, our former friends, our family members will say, this is strange that you are not following us again in the same excess of riots. And then what will be the result? Speaking evil of you. But don't bother yourself. That's not the focus of our devotion today. But just know that such things will happen. Speaking evil of you. But the salt of the earth will have an influence even when they are speaking evil of you. Because there is going to be the, in the heart a heavenly influence of truth and love and it says these principles will flow forth these principles of truth and love will flow forth again like streams in the desert so what are the principles that will actuate that transformed life the first will be what people can sense without having a deep knowledge of you of all the senses we have the eye is the one that gives the first impression about us we see what a person looks like we see the dress the smile the frown the laughter and the countenance in general. These things, if we are transformed, if we are indeed the salt to this earth, it will reveal an indwelling of the Spirit of God. Our dress and deportment in general will be salt that serves of life unto life. We will have through our dress a life-saving influence. To a transformed life who is like salt, the dress will not arouse impure, immoral and corrupt 
thoughts but will inspire in those who look at you a sense of holiness, a purity and a dignity. It will not be shabby and outlandish but will appeal to the basest of minds as though there were a sacred circle surrounding the person who is that salt and will have an influence of purity and inspire others to holiness. What kind of dress will do this? Surely it is not a showy, extravagant one that reveals the body parts and the contours. Surely it is not one that displays pride and extravagance and is laden with colors that make one look like a piece of artwork, but one that properly covers, that is not showy, but is dignifying and conservative in the colors. To be very specific about our dresses, both as men and women, our print, the principle of dress that actuates one who is salt will inspire in the beholder a, a, a spirit or a sense of sacredness and holiness. And how is this done? It is done by us dressing modestly. And what do we mean by modesty? Modesty is a principle that makes us to want to not make prominent our achievements in general. You can be modest about your achievements and you can be modest about your acquirements. So, perhaps you acquire a very nice body. Modesty demands not that you do not want to appear nice, but that you don't make prominent those things that will arouse impure thoughts in the mind of others. You cover your body very well. The, making your laps to show, for example, that's not being a salt of the earth. Wearing clothes that show your cleavage as a woman, that's not being a salt of the earth. As a man walking shirtless or wearing tight clothes that show your that show your muscles, that's not that's not modest. As a general rule, both for males and females, our dress is not to be tightly fitted on our bodies, and the purpose of that is modesty. And generally, we will in our dress not want to show off. One thing that even people of the world know, and which Christians should know. Is that we should not be in the fashion craze of showing designer dresses. Another way in which we can be sold to the earth is in our deportment. Our deportment will also be dignifying but not intimidating and proud. Carrying oneself in a manner to inspire in others a sense of the godly bearing of Jesus whom we represent. There will be no undue familiarity or the taking of unwarranted liberties. Our lives will be transformed and reformed in its social relations to avoid anything that will detract from our holy influence. There will be no wrong and misunderstood messages that lead people on. There will be a desire to abstain from all appearance of evil. Another way in which we are to be salt to the earth is by our actions and our words. The true Christian will not despise etiquette and courtesy in their manners. On the dining table or the restaurant, he will be found conducting himself with poise and with aplomb in the buses, trains, roads and planes. There won't be an uncultured and unmannered conduct that will fall below the standard of even the worldling. Nevertheless, his life will be completely free from the vanities that load the deportment of the world with burdens grievous to be borne. Talking about our Lord Jesus Christ his deportment and how he was a salt to this earth in the book of evangelism page 636 paragraph 1 we are told 
Christ carried out in his life his own divine teachings. His zeal never led him to become passionate. He manifested consistency without obstinacy, benevolence without weakness, tenderness and sympathy without sentimentalism. He was highly social, yet he possessed a reserved dignity that did not encourage undue familiarity. His temperance never led to bigotry or austerity. He was not conformed to this world, yet he was not indifferent to the wants of the least among men. He was awake to the needs of all." End of quote. Here we find in the life of Christ various aspects where he carried himself as one who you can realize would have a holy influence, will be a salt to the earth. And one thing we saw here is that he possessed a reserved dignity that did not encourage undue familiarity, yet he was highly social. So we should understand that balance as Christians. The balance between being social and yet being reserved enough so that you do not lead people on or encourage undue familiarity or yourself take unwarranted liberties. To be very specific about what I mean. Undue familiarity means or taking unwarranted liberties mean you going beyond the the points of modesty or reserve that you should do. Example would be you doing things that would arouse in the mind of others a thought that maybe this person is having feelings for me or this person has a crush on me something like that you know jesus will carry himself to be social but not to the point that it will make someone to start to think negatively or to make someone to take liberties themselves that they should not take that's exactly how he was there should be that balance so in your discussions you must be careful that's what i said here your our words and our actions will portray something that will not have an appearance of evil and will have etiquette. Reading from Evangelism, page 637, talking about etiquette, it says, Many who lay great stress upon etiquette show little respect for anything, however excellent, that fails of meeting their artificial standard. This is false education. It fosters critical pride and narrow exclusiveness. End of quote. So, What is etiquette? Does it mean you get irritated at people who are not meeting up to your standard? Does it mean you are always disgusted at the person who doesn't um, show the proper etiquette just like yourself? No, that's not what it means. You will still be tolerant. The reading, continue the reading, says the essence of true politeness is consideration for others. The essential enduring education is that which broadens the sympathies and encourages universal kindness. Talking about some people, it says, you both need a gentle, gentler touch. Your words are to soothe, not to harass. Let your hearts be filled with love for souls, with a deep, tender interest. Work for those around you. If you see one making a mistake, go to him in the way Christ has pointed out in his word and see if you cannot talk the matter over with Christ-like tenderness. Pray with him and believe that the Savior will show you the way out of the difficulty so like I am trying to point out end of quote so like I'm trying to point out etiquette doesn't mean you getting disgusted irritated at people who are picking their nose and people who are sneezing in public without covering themselves it doesn't mean you get irritated true etiquette means consideration for others 
even you when you have a better education and you are showing that etiquette you are not picking your nose you are not picking your teeth you are not also sneezing in public in such a way that those around you are disgusted and all yeah you do that but that doesn't mean you get irritated with others you will be patient with those who do not have as a better or a good education as yourself or who doesn't practice those things true etiquette is consideration for others and treating others with kindness and as we read concerning christ he was not indifferent to the wants of the least among men he was awake to the needs of all in the book of proverbs 29 verse 7 we are told the righteous considerate the cause of the poor but the wicked regarded not to know it you see we are not to be indifferent to the wants of others we are to rejoice with those that rejoice reading from desire of ages page 150 paragraph 5 talking about christ it says jesus reproved self-indulgence in all its forms yet he was social in his nature he accepted the hospitality of all classes visiting the homes of the rich and the poor the learned and the ignorant and seeking to elevate their thoughts from questions of commonplace life to those things that are spiritual and eternal he gave no license to dissipation and no shadow of worldly levity marred his conduct yet he found pleasure in the scenes of innocent happiness and by his presence sanctioned the social gathering a jewish marriage a Jewish marriage was an impressive impressive occasion and his joy was not displeasing to the Son of Man. By attending the, this feast, Jesus honored marriage as a divine institution. End of quote. So we, if we must be salt and being social to have that personal influence on the lives of others, we would not run away from innocent pleasures, innocent happiness. And like is described here very carefully, it's not all marriages, it says a Jewish marriage. The one Jesus attended was one that encouraged pure thoughts. In fact, there was a time when his disciple Matthew made a feast for him in his honor. And he went for that feast and there were all kinds of people there. And what did Jesus do there? He chose his conversation in such a way to inspire good thoughts in the minds of people. Page 152 of Desire of Ages, paragraph 2 says, The example of Christ in linking himself with the interest of humanity should be followed by all who preach his word and by all who have received the gospel of his grace. We are not to renounce social communion. We should not seclude ourselves from others. In order to reach all classes, we must meet them where they are. They will seldom seek us of their own accord. Not alone from the pulpit are the hearts of men touched by divine truth. There is another field of labor. Humbler, it may be but fully as promising. It is found in the home of the lowly and in the mansion of the great, at the hospitable board and in gatherings for social enjoyment. As disciples of Christ, we shall not mingle with the world from a mere love of pleasure to unite with them in folly. And that point needs to be hammered over and over again. Just because we are talking about being social doesn't mean you should unite with the world with the intention in your mind that you want to go and enjoy yourself and have a high time. No. Such associations can result only in harm. We should never give sanction to sin by our words or our deeds, our silence or our presence. What does that mean? Just because you want to be social doesn't mean you should attend every marriage. If you know that the things that are going to happen there is in such a manner that will be promoting sin, do not give sanction to it by your presence. There are other social gatherings that where you know that sin will not be practiced, where you know that it's not going to be dissipation and dancing and pleasure seeking and all of that. Then, if it is conducted well and aright, 
you can go there and have an influence if you go to a place where you know they are clubbing and all of that say you want to go and have an influence there sorry for you you will have no influence you will not even have the opportunity to bring up that discussion like christ used to do bring up discussions that you know will bring about a good influence in their minds the feast organized by matthew for jesus the wedding he attended the people had him as the center and because he was the center he could control things around but when you cannot control the things happening in the place you are going to please my brother do not say i want to be social and then you go to such a place you will have no influence to change anything there but they would influence you so be very careful just because we are talking about being a salt to the earth doesn't mean you go into anywhere and everywhere claiming you want to change the world no Wherever we go, I'm continuing the reading now, wherever we go, we are to carry Jesus with us and to reveal to others the preciousness of our Savior. But those who try to preserve their religion by hiding it within stone walls lose precious opportunities of doing good. Through the social relations, Christianity comes in contact with the world. Everyone who has received the divine illumination is to brighten the pathway of those who know not the light of life. We should all become witnesses for Jesus. Social power, sanctified by the grace of Christ, must be improved in winning souls to the Savior. Let the world see that we are not selfishly absorbed in our own interests, but that we desire others to share our blessings and privileges. Let them see that our religion does not make us unsympathetic or exacting. Let all who profess to have found Christ minister as he did for the benefit of men. We should never give to the world the false impression that Christians are a gloomy, unhappy people. If our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we shall see a compassionate Redeemer and shall catch light from his countenance. Wherever his spirit reigns, there peace abides, and there will be joy also, for there is a calm, holy trust in God. End of quote. Amen. So, here we learn the lesson that we, being salt of the earth, can have social power to bring other people to Christ. Another way that we are to be salt is in our speech. To be very specific, when we go to different places, anywhere we are, our speech is to be seasoned with salt. Is that not what the Bible says? With grace, so that those who hear will be blessed. Proverbs 10 verse 11 says, The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. Verse 20 says, The tongue of the just is as choice silver. And verse 21, The lips of the righteous feed many. Verse 32 says, The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speaketh forwardness. Wow. So if you are the salt of the earth, you will know the kind of things that are acceptable, especially in the environment you are. When you travel to a location, you should find out how do they speak in this place. What are the things that sound offensive to them that maybe where you are coming from may not be offensive. You should make such investigation to know the culture in which you are and try to know how your words will be acceptable. Proverbs 15 verse 26, The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. And verse 28 says, The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. Do you hear that? Studies. You don't just talk anyhow, but you study your environment to know how do they speak here. What are the things I would say that may get me into trouble? That is what it means to be a salt of the earth. You don't just say, oh, I can talk anyhow I want. No. Find out how to reach the people. You are not there to scatter, but to gather. 
You may be in the environment of people who do not share the same faith as yourself. And there are certain comments that you make that when you make them, you can do without making those comments. So why then will you make them, even though it is right to say those things? But it's not the people you are trying to reach. It's not them you want to win. If you know that those words will offend them, are there not other things to say that can bless and help them? So, the Bible says that the heart of the righteous study it to answer. You know how you are going to talk if you must be a salt of the earth. Ministry of Healing, page 489, paragraph 3 says, The Lord demands our acknowledgement of the rights of every man. Men's social rights and their rights as Christians are to be taken into consideration. All are to be treated with refinement and delicacy as the sons and daughters of God. Christianity will make a man a gentleman. Christ was courteous even to his persecutors, and his true followers will manifest the same spirit. Look at Paul when brought before rulers. His speech before Agrippa is an illustration of true courtesy as well as persuasive eloquence. Gospel does not encourage the formal politeness current with the world, but the courtesy that springs from real kindness. Well, we'll talk more about courtesy and about speech in our devotion tomorrow. But being the salt of the earth in our speech means that we study how to answer. And we will avoid things like jesting and joking. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians 5, reading from verse 3 and 4, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. And reading from Evangelism, page 641, paragraph 2, we are told, This spirit of jesting and joking, of lightness and trifling, is a stumbling block to sinners, and a worse stumbling block to those who give way to the inclination of the unsanctified heart. The fact that some have allowed these traits to develop and strengthen until jesting is as natural as their breath does not lessen its evil effects. When anyone can point to one trifling word spoken by our Lord or to any lightness seen in his character, he may feel that lightness and jesting are excusable in himself. This, this spirit is unchristian, for to be a Christian is to be Christ-like. Jesus is a perfect pattern, and we must imitate his example. A Christian is the highest type of man, a representative of Christ. Some who are given to jesting and to light and trifling remarks may appear in the sacred desk with becoming dignity. They may be able to pass at once to the contemplation of serious subjects and present to their hearers the most important testing truths ever committed to mortals. But perhaps their fellow laborers whom they have influenced and who have joined with them in this careless jest cannot change the current of their thoughts so readily. They feel condemned, their minds are confused, and they are unfitted to enter upon the contemplation of heavenly themes and preach Christ and Him crucified. The disposition to say witty things that will create a laugh when the wants of the cause are under consideration, whether in a committee meeting, a board meeting, or any other meeting for business is not of Christ. This untimely mirth has a demoralizing tendency. God is not honored when we turn everything to ridicule one day and the next they are discouraged and almost hopeless, having no light from Christ and ready to find fault and murmur. He is pleased when his people manifest solidity, strength, and firmness of character, and when they have cheerful, happy, disposi- hopeful dispositions." End of quote. 
So, before us here are ways in which we can become a salt to the earth in our personal contact with others, leading them to the truth and to Christ. And finally, what is the purpose of all of this? The Bible says in the book of Proverbs 11 verse 10, When it goeth well with the righteous, the city rejoiceth, and when the wicked perish, there is shouting. The salt of the earth means that we are preservatives. In other words, we do not join the world in its moral decline. Rather, we are a better example. Even in the matter of dress, I didn't mention earlier that I mentioned, I supposed to have mentioned this, there should not be that cross-dressing that has to do with men dressing like women and women dressing like men. How can you be a salt of the earth when you are doing that? You cannot be a salt of the earth. We must be separate from all this woke, woke culture and the uh, things that go extreme left and that are just trailblazers. We should ensure that we are not doing that because we cannot be a salt of the earth when we are doing that. The Lord, because of the righteous, preserves the earth. The Lord, because of the righteous, ensures that the city can be kept intact. Do you know that righteousness preserves a nation? When Lot was in Sodom, because the Lord said that if he was going to find up to five righteous people in Sodom, he would not destroy Sodom, showing you that it is indeed the righteous that preserves a place. The Lord would have us to be a salt for the sake of the world, converting others through personal contact, not just preaching now, through the personal contact we have with them, bringing them into a knowledge of the truth. And I pray that God will give us the grace to do this because I know that it is not as easily done as it is said, but through the grace of God, we can achieve it. Let us pray. Dear Lord in heaven, as we have learned now that we ought to be a salt of the earth, I may not have exhausted all there is that has to do with this topic. Certainly I haven't. But I pray that you would bless these words that have been spoken into the minds of your children and help us, Lord, to take it to our hearts and put it into practice. That in our personal contact with the world, we may be a blessing to them and not a curse. That we may be separate from sinners, regardless of what the world will say about us, whether in mockery or ridicule, but that we will stay away from the revelings and banquetings and excess of wine and all those things, but will be different, having been transformed by your word. Give us grace to overcome. As these words enter into the hearts of your children, please strengthen us, uproot the sin that is in our hearts and make us to become children of God. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen.